Hey, good morning, guys. It's Pastor Randy here with Made Free Church, um, tacticaldiscipleship.org, and servantforchrist.org. I hope you guys are having a great, great morning. This is my new time. I'm going to put on some more music. If you guys don't know who Josh Snodgrass is, he is a classical guitarist. You can find him on YouTube. He's really awesome. I love his music. Um, I, that's not me playing, so I'm not going to say that. But um, yeah. Praise God. This is a new time that I'm doing. It's it's at 5.30 in the morning. I've been doing this on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. So I go, guys, I hope you guys are blessed by it. Um, because I go to work uh, in the morning now. So um, it's got to be that way. <laughs> so I can get ready for work. Anyway, we are going to be uh, uh, continuing our study with dealing with debatable matters. And this is part two. This is a three-part series that I'm doing in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 12, but we're also going to be looking at Romans 14, 1, chapter 1, all the way through 15, and then 15, all the way through 13, right? So this, we're going to be dealing with a couple chapters in the book of Romans, and we're going to break that down. So um, we're going to be dealing with the method of debatable matters. You know, Paul's going to get into a lot of different things, so... Um, but it's just a couple announcements before we get, Hey guys, if you guys, if you guys need prayer, please go to madefreechurch.org. Um, and, um, put your prayer request tabs in there. Now, if, if you do want one of us to give you a call, one of the pastors or one of the intercessory prayer teams, go ahead and leave your phone number in, uh, the, the phone number box. Um, but here's the thing. We cannot call Canada. We can't call Mexico. We can't call overseas. So it's just in the United States alone that we can call. So if you guys would like prayer, like one of our one of us to give you a call and pray with you and minister to you, we're more than willing to do that. Also, um, that's it. I don't need to do that one. Um, so let's get into prayer and uh, let's just start this off. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for the time that we get to spend with you in the morning, God. You're so awesome, Lord. And just... Uh, Get me out of the way and let your word come forward, Heavenly Father. We thank you, we worship you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, sorry about my hair. Uh, anyway, uh, let's get into it. Um, let me turn this down a little bit. There we go. All right. So, we're going to continue our study in 1 Corinthians uh, in a series that I'm calling challenges that uh, Christians face. And one of the challenges Christian face is the issue of debatable matters. You know, um, so let's continue to learn about this in the message that I'm calling Dealing with Debatable Matters Part 2. So let's read 1 Corinthians 6.12. It says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved or I will not be mastered by anything. You know, when Paul, when the Apostle Paul said that all things are lawful for me, was what was all things that he was referring to? All things refers to such thing as what they, what they. I'm going to mess up these Greek words, so bear with me. Um, a deifora. The deifora refers to those things or actions that that uh, that in themselves are neither immoral or moral nor either commanded nor forbidden by scripture and uh, must 
and may be permitted for Christians. So Paul was saying that with with that regard that uh, a deifora, uh a Christian is free to do whatever he or she wants to do so. In this regard, all things are lawful for me. The issue with a deifora or debatable matters comes up several times in the rest of the letter of 1 Corinthians. And last Monday, I thought that it would be helpful for us to get a clear understanding of exactly what things a deifora and how to deal with debatable matters. So it's one of those things that we that we got to... So the, the issue... So the Apostle Paul uh, dealt most clearly with the issue of debatable matters in his letter to the Romans in Romans 14, 1 through 15... Uh, uh, 14, chapter 14, verse 1, all the way through chapter 15, through, uh, verse 15, 13. Some debatable matters in our day are the following. Giving and, uh, giving and receiving wedding rings, which was hotly contested in, uh, by the Puritans in the, seventh, in the 17th century. Wearing jewelry, the use of makeup for women. Consumption of alcohol. Smoking cigarettes, or in, in our day, vaping. Mode of baptism, either immersion or sprinkling. Some aspects of the Old Testament fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, the view of eschatology, there's really three biblical views. There's uh, premillennialism, there's a postmillennialism, and there's millennial, right? So if you guys want to check that out, you know, um, you can check out a couple guys, you know, um, on my page on Facebook and stuff like that, that are post and awe, you know, um, and they'll tell you, right? Um, I can't give out their names because I didn't ask them, but anyway, they're good people. Uh, attending movies, watching television, aspects of the Sabbath, such as work, play, and worship, eating foods in a church, in the church building, letting your children participate in Halloween. Now, this is one thing that, that, uh, you know, I won't do anymore. I, I October 31st is what uh, us reformers called Reformation Day. Um, and you can learn about that more if you just look up, you know, Reformation Day and what Luther did and how things got started and stuff like that. Okay. I won't let, I don't participate in Halloween. So uh, letting uh, uh, school choices, either public, private, or home. Mixed swimming. Um, this is hotly contested. Uh, you know, it, this is a, a big thing because mixed swimming, it means having all kinds of kids of different races and, and uh, inside of a pool. Um, buying insurance, dancing, wearing pants. This is for women. Uh, using a, a Bible other than the King James Version. There's a lot of people out there who are King James only. Um, playing guitars in church. Men wearing their hair uh, over their ears, etc. You know, with that as the introduction, let's review Paul's method. And we're going to look at that in, in Romans. I'm not going to read it, um, the, of dealing with debatable matters. Now, Paul lays down a fundamental principle of welcome, especially the welcome of the weak, which undergirds the whole discussion in verse 1. And it says this, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Do not quarrel over opinions. This is the fundamental uh uh, principle uh, is is in two parts, right? The positive, right? Uh, 
It is positive. So uh, in 14.1a, that's the beginning of the verse, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Right? If you guys want to leave your comments, go ahead and leave them. If you want to give StreamYard um, your uh, uh, access to your stuff, then great. And I'll I'll definitely, definitely uh, respond when I see it, okay? So the weak in faith are those who are immature, untaught. And as Paul is unfolding this argument, makes clear, actually mistaken, they are to be welcomed into fellowship. Now, having reflected on the principle of welcome, we need to note that it is qualified, but not to quarrel over opinions. That's uh, uh, verse 1b, right, in, in, in Romans. Paul is saying that, that we must receive the weak person with a warm, genuine welcome, without debate over his misgivings or scruples, or not, not for the purpose of getting into quarrels about opinions. So, having laid down the fundamental principle of welcome, especially the welcome of the weak in faith, Paul now develops three negative deductions or consequences that follow the fundamental principles, right? First, the first negative uh, is this. Do not despise or condemn a weak person. This is fleshed out in Romans uh, 14, 2 through 13a, right? There are four reasons why the strong in faith should not despise or condemn the weak in faith. Okay? First, because God has welcomed him. And second, because Christ died and rose to be his Lord. And third, because he is our brother or sister. Right? And fourth, because we will stand before God, God's judgment seat. That's pretty powerful, man. You know what I mean? And and, and there's a thing, and, and, and Pastor Dominic uh, brought this up the other day. What about righteous judgment? Well, that's a whole separate conversation in itself. Uh, but I want to stick on welcoming and not judging and stuff like that the week because it's so important. Because what we tend to do as humans is if we see an error, we want to twist it. We want to, hey, this is how you should believe because I'm I'm more mature. We, we, we shouldn't do that. We should just let God handle all that. And let's continue to look at the next negative deduction in Paul's method of dealing with the debatable. The second negative deduction is do not offend or destroy the weak person. This is fleshed out in Romans 14, 13b through 223. So in this section and in the previous one, it's our relationship to the weak, which is mainly in mind. The argument moves now on from how the strong should regard the weak to how they should treat them. That is from our attitudes, not despising or condemning, to actions, not offending or destroying them. But instead of passing judgment on one another, Paul writes in 13b, Rather, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of your brother or sister. He says brother, but I'm adding the, that. Paul goes on to lay down two theological foundations with the exhortation, in addition to four, uh, the four developed in Romans 2 through 13a. So, 
the two theological foundation as to why the strong in faith should not offend or destroy the weak of faith are as follows because he is our brother for whom Christ died right that's in verses 14 through 16 do not offend or destroy him because he is our brother for whom the Christ died right before deploying this argument for not harming a weaker brother or sister however Paul explains very per in personal terms the dilemma which faces the strong it's created in two truths in conflict with each other first Paul says in, in 14a now I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself Paul reference to the Lord Jesus probably does not mean that he is actually quoting him although he is sure have he sure been familiar with Jesus controversies with the Pharisees over the clean and unclean with the risen Lord's word Peter not to call unclean what God has called clean the reference seems to be more general, right? Uh, all that I know is that the Lord Jesus convinces me of that. And it seems to be what he is saying, right? And also, also a claim to be in close personal union with Christ as his disciple and especially uh, as his apostle, right? So he came to his conviction, Right, and it is. It was nothing. It's it, it. It it was nothing. Is unclean in itself. But. And this is the second part of the dilemma. It is unclean, for everyone who it thinks it's unclean. Right, that's in fourteen B, fourteen fourteen B. Right, and and should not partake of it. Verse 14 refers to, of course, the ceremonial culture, not moral issues. And Paul is quite explicit that some of our thoughts, words, and deeds are intrinsically evil. The paradox then, which faces the strong, is that some foods are both clean and unclean simultaneously. On the other hand, the strong are convinced that all foods are clean. What? the weak are convinced that they are not and 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 how should the strong behave when two when, when two consciences uh, are in collision paul's response is obvious <clears throat> although the strong are correct he shares a conviction because the lord jesus endorsed it right but the the strong must not ride a rothschild uh, over the scruples of the weak by imposing their view on them. Right? On the contrary, they must defer to the weaker brother's conscience, even though it is mistaken and not violated or cause him to violate it. And the other reason, and, and, and here's another reason, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, not only because he sees you doing something which he disapproves, but because he may in, induce to follow your example against his conscience and you are no longer walking in love. Love never disregards the weak 
right? Love limits its own liberty out of respect for them. You know, to wound a weaker brother's conscience is not only to distress him, but to destroy him. And that is totally in, in, incompatible with love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one whom Christ died in 15b. Right? So, Paul has already twice referred to the weaker Christian as brother in 1410. Now he repeats the term three more times in verse 13, 15, and 21 and adds a touching description for whom Christ died. Did Christ love him enough to die for him? And shall we not love him enough to refrain from wounding his conscience? Did Christ sacrifice himself for, the well, for his well-being? And shall we assert ourselves over, uh, to his harm? Did Christ die to save him? And shall we not care if we destroy him? See, this, this kind of happened to me. You know, um, I held to more of an Armenian view instead of a reform view. But the guy who, who basically, you know, um, was teaching me the reform view or the Calvinistical view, if you want to call it that. I don't, I don't believe it. I, I don't, there's a lot of things that I, I like about Calvinism and there's a lot of things I like about Armenians, right? But two are different, right? And I'm more reformed. So I, I, I lean more towards the reform, the Calvinistical, but I don't consider myself a Calvinist anymore. Um, I consider myself reformed, but I don't consider myself a Calvinist because I allow scripture to interpret scripture, right? So um, all the other stuff is just out there anyway. Um, but what kind of destruction does Paul have in mind? It seems that Paul is warning is that the strong who mislead the weak to go against their conscience will seriously damage the Christian discipleship. And that's true. Hey, good morning, Fernando. How are you? God, yeah, Bakersfield, man, cool. Um, uh, uh, he urges the strong against causing such injury to the weak. So do not let do do not let what you regard as good, i.e., the liberty you have found in Christ, to be spoken of as evil in like verse sixteen, because you flaunt it to the determent of the weak. Right. Um, so, do not offend or destroy the weak in faith, because he is your brother and sister for whom Christ died. Right. The second is 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 do not offend or destroy the weak in faith, because the kingdom of God is more important than food. It is the first in the if, if the first the, theological truth, uh, which undergirds Paul's appeal to the strong for restraint is the cross of Christ. The second appeal is to the kingdom of God. That is the gracious rule of God through Christ and by the spirit in lives in, in the lives of his people, bringing free salvation and demanding radical obedience. Although the kingdom of God is not as central, the kingdom of God is not as central doctrine in the teaching of Paul, as it was in the teaching of Jesus. Nevertheless, it occupies the prominent place. 
The apostles' argument is now that whenever the strong insist on using their liberty to eat whatever they, they like, even at the expense and welfare of the weak, they are guilty of the grade of lack of proportion. They are overestimating the importance of diets, which is trivial, uh, and under uh, under uh, under they're overestimating the importance of diet, which is trivial, and underestimating the importance of the kingdom, which is central. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but the righteous and peace and joy of the Holy Spirit. In verse seventeen. Righteousness and peace and joy inspired by the, the Holy Spirit are sometimes understood as subjective conditions of being righteous, peaceful, and joyful. But the but in the wider context of Romans, it is more new uh, natural to take them as objective states, namely justification through Christ, peace with God, and rejoicing in the hope of God's glory. Chapter 5, verse 1, of which the Holy Spirit himself is the pledge and foretaste in Romans 8.23. And the reason for the greater significance of the, of the kingdom is that whoever serves Christ, who seeks first God's kingdom and acknowledges that food and drink are secondary matters is acceptable to God and approved by men in verse 14, 18. I mean, in chapter 14, verse 18. Now, in verses 19 through 21, repeat, enforce, and apply the same teaching about proportion and balance. They contain three exhortations, right? First, so... Then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding in verse 19. This is a positive goal which all should seek and which the strong are, are were neglecting in their insensitive treatment of the weak. Second, do not forsake, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. And that's in uh, chapter 14, 20a. The work of God could mean an individual, the individual weaker brother, but in context, it seems to refer rather to the Christian community. Destroy translates to different verbs from which, one of which that Paul uses in verse 15. Here in verse 20, kataleo means to tear down or throw down, particularly in relation to buildings, right? It appears to be deliberately contrasted with the earlier verse, our responsibility is to seek to build up the fellowship in verse 19, not to tear it down in verse 20, right? And in particular, we must not tear down for the sake of food. Surely for the sake of a plate of meat, we are not going to wreck God's work. You know I mean? Are you strong are, are, are you strong, really prepared? Right? Prepare, he asked, is to distress a brother by what you eat in 15a. To damage him spiritually by what you eat in 15b. To prize your eating and drinking above God's kingdom in verse 17. And to demolish God's work for the sake of food in verse 20. There must have been some red faces among the strong as they listen to Paul's letter being read out in the assembly of God, right? 
his gentle sarcasm showed up in their skewed perspective and they would have to revalue their values giving up insisting on their liberties at the expense of the welfare of others and put the cross and the kingdom first and third Paul expresses the contract between two kinds of behavior which he declares to be respectively wrong and right Kakos in verse 20 and Kalos in verse 21 everything is indeed clean but is wrong Kakos for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats in for in 20b this being so it is good Kalos to not to eat meat or drink wine which is here is mentioned for the first time or to do anything that causes your brother or sister to stumble in verse 21 the statement that everything is indeed clean sounds like a slogan of the strong. And Paul agrees with that. Here's the theological truth which gave them liberty to eat anything they liked. But there are some other factors to consider which would require them to limit the exercise of their liberty. In particular, there was a weaker brother or sister with an oversensitive, overscrupulous conscience who was convinced not all food was clean. So it should be wrong for the strong to use their liberty to harm the weak. Alternatively, it would be good for the strong, Paul drives the argument to its logical conclusion, to eat not meat or drink wine, that is, to become vegetarians or total abstainers and go to any other extreme for reunification if that were necessary to serve the welfare of the weak. Paul concludes uh, uh, chat, Romans chapter 14, 20-23 by drawing the distinction between belief and action, that is, between private conviction and public behavior. He writes, as regards to a private sphere, the faith that you have, the faith that you have, whether um, you are strong and believe you can eat anything or weak and believe you cannot, keep between yourselves and God in 1422a. Keep it a secret. There is no need to neither parade your views or to pose on them on other people. As for public behavior, there are two options represented by two men whom quickly recognize as strong and weak in the Christian, respectively. Right? The strong Christian is blessed because his conscience approves of his, his, his eating of anything so that he can follow his conscience without any guilt feelings. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself of what he approves. But whoever doubts that is the weak Christians who plague with misgivings because of his conscience gives a vallicating of facilitating facilitating signals is condemned and probably by his conscience and not by God if he eats because the eating is not of faith or whatever does not proceed from faith which does not arise from conviction is sin and the final saying is also the significance of our conscience although our conscience is not fallible infallible um, 
it nevertheless sets apart so that to go against it and not act in faith is to sin. The same time, alongside the explicit instructions not to violate our conscience, there is an, an implicit requirement to educate. So, regarding debatable matters of, of the fundamental principle is to welcome the weak in faith with a warm, genuine welcome. Having laid down the fundable principle of welcome, we have seen two negative deductions that flow from the principle. First, not to despise or condemn a person who is in weak, uh, that is weak in faith. And second, we are not to offend or destroy the person who is weak in faith. So Friday, we're going to look, we shall look at the third and final negative deduction regarding how to welcome the weak in faith and with a warm, genuine welcome. So, you know, the next few days or, the, you know, let's, you know, let, let's just, not the next two days, but let's really commit ourselves to welcoming all true brothers and sisters in Christ with a warm, genuine welcome and not to despise them or condemn or even offend or destroy that person who is weak in faith because there's a lot of people in churches that are weak in faith, right? So we're not to destroy them or or to condemn them, but to to instruct them in the way of God, right? What does scripture say about it? All right, a couple of uh, announcements before we go. Guys, if you like, if you guys like to support Made Free Church, we are a nonprofit, a legit nonprofit. Um, and we could really, really use your donations. You know, we do have some overhead uh, that that we need to take care of and stuff like that every month. And, and uh, so we can use your, your donations. There's three ways to give. You can give through the Cash App. You can give through uh, our PayPal link, or you can send a, a check or money order to the address that provided on their website. All you need to go is madefreechurch.org and go to the giving tab, and you can find out those ways there. Guys, check out our discipleship ministry. It's called tacticaldiscipleship.org. Uh, uh, we're looking for disciples. We, we educate, we train, we build up disciples to go out and disciple men and women. We're looking for men and women, guys. We need women disciples and we need men to, to disciples. Um, if you guys want to be discipled, go ahead and, and, and go to the contact page where it says to sign up. And um, you'll be able to, um, you know, sign up there. Both of you guys. So, both of them. And if you guys like to check out my own personal website, you can go to servantforchrist.com. That's servantforchrist.com. All my thoughts, what I believe, how I believe, all that stuff's on there. So, go to that. And guys, go check out our friends at 120 Army. They're our bros. It's a great prayer app. I use it daily. Uh, Aaron and, and Jose are good friends of ours. We support them. So go download that on your Apple or your your Android. And uh, guys, please go check out my my podcast in, and Made Free Church podcast. We're on all platforms. Um, and and our podcasts are, are, you know, are called me. It's Reformed Pastor. And then we have the Made Free Church podcast podcast as well go check us out we're on itunes run all, all all over so and guys i want to thank you for watching god bless your day um and thank you guys so let's pray out heavenly father we just thank you for this time we thank you for the opportunity that we get to spend with you lord we love you we worship you and we praise you in jesus mighty name amen guys you guys have a great 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 i think it's wednesday right yeah great wednesday um 
I got lost some of my days because of a three-day weekend. Um, you guys have a great day. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May he shine his face upon you and give you rest. God bless you guys. Have a great day.